Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. Welcome to the 77th episode of the Daily 5 Fantasy Sports Podcast, covering five, usually, sports news stories in about five minutes each. I am Corey. A lot of people know me as CK. You can follow me online at C-O-P-I-E-P-S. The goal of this podcast is to usually shorten things down to five news stories in five minutes each. But for some reason, yesterday when I hit it, I don't know what I did wrong, but it did not upload. So I don't know if I'm going to get to 10 stories probably not i'm going to re-record some of these things and right now i'm at seven we'll see if it's a daily seven today a daily i don't think i'm going to get to 10 but somewhere is between five and ten usually the goal is to keep it to about 25 minutes i think i can still do it if i pick up the pace here but baseball basketball and football it's been dominated by baseball lately we have some football stories in here though too no time to waste i have more to do than usual let's get to story number one one Story number one. The signing was Brandon Nimmo because money is no issue if you're Steve Cohen and the New York Mets, and he just keeps proving it. We'll get to another one later. Nimmo is a re-sign. He is back with the Mets. Eight years, $162 million, considerably more than I think most people thought because he's maybe not per year, but the amount of time because he is not exactly a bastion of health, which we'll get to. Brandon Nimmo himself right after the Mets were eliminated, said, I think last season is going to be looked at as a stepping stone in the right direction for this organization. I think they're in a great spot getting forward. They've got an owner who really wants to win it all and will do whatever it takes to win, and that's more than half of the battle right there. And then Steve Cohen proved it. Exactly what Brandon Brandon Nimmo said. He's proved it with Justin Verlander, Carlos Grasco, Edwin Diaz, Brandon Nimmo. They signed David Robertson also. I'm not going to do a story on him, but they signed him to the bullpen. I am going to do a story on someone else soon. Nimmo last year, probably the best season of his career, 2022. Personal 101 runs, career high, 64 RBIs, career high, 30 doubles, National League leading, seven triples, hit 274, got on base at a 367 clip. That's always his thing. He walks so much. He is a career 385 on base percentage. So that was actually low for him. And then last year he had a 433 slug. Career 385 on base percentage, career 269 batting average. It's really good. He's very good when he's healthy. He used to be kind of a definite downgrade in center field. He was not a very good center fielder, but he's gotten better. And now he's went, he didn't have actually an error all of last season and all of his chances. So definitely serviceable in center. I wouldn't say he's an amazing center fielder now, but he is much better than he used to be. I found this one on Yahoo Sports since 2018. 
There are only one, two, three, four, five batters with better on base percentages than Nimmo's 388. So these are the who's who of fantasy baseball. You have Aaron Judge, who I covered a few days ago. He is the likely number one overall fantasy pick and a top five for sure. There is Bryce Harper, who, if he did not have his UCL thing, would be a first rounder. There is Freddie Freeman, who is as consistent as it gets. There's Juan Soto, who in a bad year last year still gets picked in the first round and deserves to be. And there is Mike Trout, who is arguably the best player of the last decade. That's really good company. Brandon Immel will not get picked anywhere as close to those players in fantasy football or fantasy baseball if they're all healthy. Now with Bryce Harper's injury, he might. But otherwise, you can get him much later. And that shows you what he can do. Now the difference is Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs last year alone. Brandon Nimmo has 63 home runs for his career. So that is the big difference, right? He's just not the same type of power bet that those guys offer. And then it's injuries. Last year it was 151 games. I think – I was trying to check. I think his missed time was COVID last year. But he's missed time with a variety of injuries. The year before he played 92 games, that was a hip and a hamstring. The 2020 short season, he played pretty much all the games that year. He played, I think, a full season. So two of the last three years, pretty healthy. But before that, it was disc problems, neck problems. He's had a collapsed lung in his career. He's had finger injuries career two times. He's played over 100 games, which is last season and I think 2016. I didn't type that in, but I believe it was 2016. That's what you're hoping for, especially now if you're the Mets, because now you've got eight more years at $20 million plus per year. You need him to stay healthy and be the center fielder and the on-base threat that he can be. Steamer trusts it. They have him at 149 games. You take that if you have Brandon Nimmo. You take that. 97 runs, 17 home runs, 66 RBIs, 6 stolen bases, 268 batting average. He's much more valuable if you play in a non-base league. I've already said that, than a batting average league. But he's someone that he can really help in a few stats. Now, the 97 runs, if he bats a leadoff on what the Mets are putting out there, he might put up more runs than that even. I said last year he had 101. I think he can put up more than that. I think you get to 110. Like it, It's going to be a good pick, but you just got to hope and pray for health. Hope and pray for health. Two. Let's keep it with the Mets. I said that they had another big signing that we will cover here, and that is Kode Senga. Kode Senga in the Mets, five years, $75 million. That was Saturday night. Actually lower than I think most people thought. At least I thought he was going to be the highest paid Asian player coming over this year, and that turns out not to be the case. We I talked about Masataka Yoshida getting five years, $90 million to play with the Boston Red Sox outfielder as opposed to pitcher, but still... Uh, Senga can actually opt out after 2025, so it's a five-year contract. Does not mean he will play for five years with the Mets, but we'll see how he's doing at that time. That brings the New York Mets payroll to $345 million pre-penalties. Now the penalties, we'll talk about them here because there are a lot of them. They will pay a substantial amount of the luxury tax penalties, bringing their total pay to, at this point, $421 million. That is a lot of money. It's even more money than I think anyone thought that they could get to, but Steve Cohen is showing that he has very deep pockets and that he can just keep forking it over. Cody Senga, very for what he's worth, 29 years old, 11 seasons in the Nippon Professional League, going 104 and 51 with a 2.42 ERA over 1,300 innings. Now he's not particularly big. I guess I just learned that. I thought he was taller than he is, but he's six foot tall, 178 pounds. That's not particularly big, but if he's pitched 1,340 innings over there, I guess I can't say that he's injury prone because apparently he's not his resume is impressive he has not won I forget the name of the award I think it's the Sawamura award but don't quote me on that which is the Nippon League version of a Cy Young but he has won five worlds or Japanese series titles he's been to three all-star games 
he has won an Olympic gold medal. He is very, very talented. Last year, he posted a 194 ERA in 144 innings with a 156 strikeouts and just seven home runs. We keep hearing about the famous ghost fork pitch. It kind of reminds me of, was it Dice K. Matsuzaka or Yu Darvish that had the gyro ball? One of those two who had the gyro ball, the ghost fork, is what we keep hearing about with Kode Singa. He has a triple-digit fastball and then a split finger, which is nicknamed the ghost fork because it disappears as it gets to home plate. He also apparently has a cutter and a slider, but those are not as good. I kind of want to see this ghost fork pitch because that is a very cool nickname. Now, the Mets, I said when they lost Jacob deGrom, and now they've lost Chris Bassett, which we'll get to in a little bit here, but they needed to retool, and they have. So the current Mets projected starting rotation is reigning Cy Young Award winner Justin Verlander, multiple Cy Young Award winner and first ballot Hall of Famer Max Scherzer, very good pitcher Carlos Carrasco. They did sign Jose Quintana, which I covered here, and now Cody Senga, and suddenly Tyler McGill and David Peterson are on the outside looking in when not that long ago they looked like number three and number four starters. It's a really good team. It's going to be a really good team. No projections yet as far as Steamer is concerned for Kodai Senga because he is an international player. I can't imagine that he is as good as he was in Japan because it is a step up in competition, but I'm thinking he's probably going to pitch 160, 70 innings. I don't think they're going to sign him to not pitch, and I'm banking on about a mid-3s ERA. That would be what I said. Could he be better than that? Sure, if this goes for pitch is really everything we hear, but otherwise... It's three zero eight. He's a perfect starting pitcher for your fantasy team in the mid rounds. Three. Story number three. It is possible to leave the New York Mets, though. Trevor Williams has proven it, as he was one of the players they did not keep. He will stay in the National League East and go to the Washington Nationals. Two years, thirteen million dollars. He has spent the past year and a half with the New York Mets after being traded as part of the Javier Baez to New York deal for Pete Crow Armstrong and. You make the case that he's been just as valuable as Javier Baez ever was with the Mets because he played another year there, and he was pretty good last year. 317 ERA, 122 innings. He made 12 starts. He pitched 28 times out of the bullpen. A 22% strikeout rate was a career high, a career low 6% walk rate. So 84 strikeouts to 23 walks. Those are really good. Very impressive peripheral stats, too. Before that, he'd basically been a starting pitcher until he did some of their leaving last year. His best year was way back in 2018 when he was still a Pirate. He had a 311 ERA that year. That was in 31 starts. And then he kind of fell off a cliff. 2019, a 538 ERA. Then there was the weird COVID year where he pitched to a 618 ERA. And it was like, what's going on here? But all in all, he has a career 427 ERA with a 440 FIP. That's pretty good between Pittsburgh, Chicago, and the Mets. That's not bad. That's someone who, if you can bank on a lot of innings in a 15-team league, he is someone that should be rostered because with the Nationals, he should pitch, which with the Mets definitely would not have been a guaranteed thing. It might have been considerably different than that. So now that he's with the Mets, I kind of think it's similar to the Chimer Candelario signing, where it's someone who has shown success before, not a very big contract, but could he show success again? Yeah, pretty pretty low risk, pretty high upside. The Nationals are going to roll out Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, Cade Cavalli, Trevor Williams, and then I guess Patrick Corbin, who knows about Steven Strasburg. I just so so little faith in that working at any town at any time. So I'll stick to those other guys. And I think Trevor Williams is probably going to go beyond those guys, and he is going to be just as valuable as some of those guys. But he's not going to have the big name. Steamer season bouncing between the starting and rotation, the starting and the bullpen again. They have him for 21 starts, 41 appearances, 
132 innings, basically what he did this year. Seven and nine, because all steamer projections are within two games of 500. We've learned 103 strikeouts, 42 walks. Now, here's the big difference. This past year, a 317 ERA. They have him at a 479 ERA. So that is a large jump. I think he's probably better than that. But if that's what you get, that's that's not good for fantasy. But I think in some 15-team Roto Leagues, I will probably have Trevor Williams and hopefully get some pretty good production out of him. Story four, are you sick of baseball yet? Because if so, sorry. I said I will get to some football here soon, but more baseball. Sean Manaya goes to his third different California team. He has been with Oakland. He has been now one year with San Diego, and now he is going to try it across the bay from Oakland in San Francisco. For his career, I was interested to find this. His career, he has a 368 ERA at home and a 445 ERA on the road. Now, we know that most of those California teams, specifically the ones I've talked about, have much better home pitchers parks so maybe that's something here his one year in san diego was the worst year of his career i think he had a 496 era fully supported by his 75 era plus meaning he was 25 percent worse than league average a 453 fip says maybe he was a little unlucky but that's still not very good he went eight and nine 156 strikeouts and 158 innings not what the padres had hoped for in their acquisition of him But a lot of the peripheral numbers, the backup numbers, the strikeout rates, the walk rates, they're not all that different than what he's done the rest of his career, That all that time with Oakland. So I'd like to say that he bounces back, and I think he will. San Francisco will help with that. The first half of the year, he was doing pretty good. At the end of June, he still had a 392 ERA and a 376 FIP. And then the last three months were a disaster where his ERA went over six. He... What his real problem was is he shouldn't pitch against the Dodgers, which unfortunately for him, San Francisco means he's going to have to play the Dodgers again. He got absolutely lit up against the Dodgers with an 11.57 ERA and three starts. Two different times, I believe, he gave up eight runs to the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium. That is a good way to really cost yourself <laughs> not not doing well against the Dodgers on a team that's trying to catch the Dodgers, which is also what San Francisco is doing. He also had a massive home run problem last year. I said moving to San Francisco, which is – one of the toughest parks to hit home runs out of should help here. I don't know if I ever said the contract. He got a two-year, $25 million deal. Now, the good thing for him is, and is he can opt out after just one season. It's pretty reminiscent to, as you see it all over, it was all the comparisons to the Carlos Rodon thing, right, where you try to bet on a bounce-back year, and now Carlos Rodon is looking to get himself paid, and I'm sure it's going to happen hopefully soon here because I'd like to see him get signed soon here. And so if... Manaya pitches well next year. He probably opts out. I, it, we'll see. I don't know if he will. I expect good things out of Sean Manaya, better than last year at least. The rotation in San Francisco includes Logan Webb, Alex Cobb, Alex Wood, Anthony DiSclefani, Sean Manaya. I don't think I'm going to bank on Sean Manaya being Carlos Rodon, but if he is those other guys, if he is Alex Wood, if he's Anthony DiSclefani, he's another one. Really needs to be rostered in the fantasy league. Steamer has him at 28 games, 156 innings, 9 and 10, because I'm still right. 405 ERA, 146 strikeouts to 44 walks. He is someone that we, that you should be looking at in the mid rounds to bolster your fantasy rotation. Five. Story five. I promised you some football stories, and let's talk some football here. Debo Samuel, first football story in a while. The star running back slash receiver, receiver slash running back, I think San Francisco classifies him as a wide back, which I guess is it's just combined the two together, but 
I, I would go with a running receiver. It sounds cooler, but was carted off the field in the second quarter with an ankle injury and did not return to the game. Brock Purdy also left the game with an oblique injury, but he kept playing. I, he suffered that. Now, on Monday, we heard from head coach Kyle Shanahan that they didn't have any further updates. They were both undergoing MRIs. Curtis, or just, I'm sorry, Curtis Samuel. Debo Samuel started off the game strong. 42 total yards, 21 rushing, 21 receiving. He had a touchdown. The good news is he didn't break his ankle. It was not a fracture of any type. It is most likely the high ankle sprain variety. Now, if you've been a listener of the show for a while, you know that high ankle sprains, that's what's got Cooper Cup on the shelf. That's what puts people on the shelf for usually about four to six weeks. It usually ends up being. So this could still be a long-term thing here. I would not expect... Debo Samuel the rest of the season. If you have him in fantasy, you could probably drop him. I don't think you'd miss out too much. Maybe you get one week out of him, but I would doubt it because I think they're probably going to be resting him and waiting for the playoffs because I do think he'll be playing then. For San Francisco, Brandon Ayuk becomes the de facto 1A option for what they pass. Now, they still have George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey, so when I say 1A, it is 1A at wide receiver because George Kittle gets a lot of targets. Christian McCaffrey gets all the touches he wants behind him at receiver behind Ayuk at receiver Ray Ray McLeod and Jawan Jennings you have to be in a pretty deep league to use those guys what Debo Samuel's injury really means is I think it means even more Christian McCaffrey which there's already a lot of Christian McCaffrey but this means even more Christian McCaffrey if you need a fantasy wide receiver for the playoffs where you've reached playoff time I think it's Richie James that's who I'd go with he, I've mentioned him a couple times on this podcast, three or four pretty good weeks with the Giants, especially in PPR leagues. He's getting passes. He's catching touchdowns. I, I think Daniel Jones and him are really starting to click. I think that's who I'd go with. Now, I don't know if there's the huge upside of Debo because there's no rushing and there's only a few receivers in the league that can offer that. But Richie James has been pretty good for a while here. So roster Richie James and use him if you need to. Sorry, I don't have a cool drop, and I'm not going to find one for one day because I'm usually not planning to get to this sixth story. So story number six. Sorry, it's not a pretty lady's voice, but the Dallas Cowboys have signed themselves a veteran wide receiver, but it's not the one we all thought. I could copy everyone else, and there's been a million jokes out there about how it is not Odell Beckham after a very public marriage proposal from the Dallas Cowboys to Odell Beckham to join the team. They decided to go with a different veteran in T.Y. Hilton. Mike McCarthy on Monday said the timing is right. He's ready to go. He's an excellent addition, especially at this time of year. I think it's that second sentence, the he's ready to go. That's the difference between T.Y. Hilton and Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham, Micah Parsons, I believe it was, who came out a couple days ago and said he talked to Odell and was told that, no, it's going to be at least five games before he's even ready to go. Maybe Odell Beckham signs, but that's a playoff thing. He's not coming to help in the regular season. T.Y. Hilton... He could. Last season, Hilton played 10 games for the Indianapolis Colts. In those 10 games, he had 23 catches for 331 yards and three touchdowns. Now, 10 games is obviously not 17, which is what he the NFL season is. That's because he missed games with a disc injury the first five games of the season, and then he missed other games in the middle of the season. He had a quad injury. He had a concussion. In the beginning part of his career, he tended to avoid injuries pretty well and the last three four years of his career he has been injured a lot and that's a problem here because they need him to stay healthy whereas last year may have been bad his career is really impressive 10 seasons with the Colts 631 receptions 9,691 yards 53 
touchdowns. Very impressive career for T.Y. Hilton with the Colts, and now he takes it to Dallas. Is that going to be on Sunday when they take on the Jaguars? Probably not. Now, I would have said it's almost completely impossible, but then I saw Baker Mayfield go to <laughs> for the Rams in, in two days, lead his team to victory, so maybe you don't need as much time as I thought when you know what you're doing and you're a veteran in this league, but more likely he doesn't play this week and he gets ready for the big matchup the following week against the, I think the best team in the NFC, the Philadelphia Eagles. It's Christmas Eve, I believe. I think that's a Saturday game they play on Christmas Eve. Now that the college football season is done, we get Saturday football in the NFL, so that's cool. Hilton joins a receiver room that includes includes CeeDee Lamb. He's obviously number one on this group. Michael Gallup, Noah Brown, James Washington, Jalen Tolbert, and special teams ace Cavante Turpin. It's another one. I think that his name is probably bigger than his game. I think T.Y. Hilton's name, you're gonna people will look at T.Y. Hilton's name and say, oh, we gotta add him. It's really hard to imagine that he's anything here. They're gonna want to run the ball with Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott. C.D. Lamb's option number one. He's not ahead of Michael Gallup. I doubt he's ahead of Noah Brown. So that puts him in the James Washington, Jalen Tolbert area. Remember how excited everyone was for Jalen Tolbert in draft season? And that just did not work out at all. I don't think this is going to work out for fantasy either. I think T.Y. Hilton's name is bigger than his game the rest of the way this season. The seven story. And now I do think there is a fairly good chance that we hit 10 stories today. The seventh story is the first real major trade, I guess, of the Major League Baseball offseason. We had the Colton Wong trade, the Hunter Renfro trade, Rex Rayleigh got traded, but all small peanuts compared to Sean Murphy going to the Atlanta Braves. It was rumored about a week ago it was going to happen, and the Braves GM, it's Anthopolis, I think, wrote that back and said, no, we're not really interested. And a week later, it's a three-team trade, which involves Milwaukee, Atlanta, and Oakland. There's a lot of pieces involved here. I'm just going to focus on the fantasy pieces, and I think there's four names to really pay attention to for this season for fantasy. Atlanta gets Sean Murphy. That is the only piece they get back in this trade. The big prize of the catcher trade market in his career, he's at 46 home runs with a 236 batting average and a 326 on base percentage. But last year, really, really good. 148 games, 250. Uh, 18 home runs, 66 RBIs. The year before, 17 home runs, 59 RBIs. He's really consistent. That's what he is. He's extremely consistent. And uh, Atlanta has a very good team. They already had a good team. And they had two very good catchers last year, two all-star catchers. And a third catcher in Manny Pena. Now Manny Pena's gone. We'll talk about one of those all-star catchers. But Travis Darno is still there. So the question is, what happens to Travis Darno? I think he just becomes the backup. Sean Murphy starts. Travis Darno becomes the backup. When... Darno needs a game, or when Murphy needs a game off behind the plate, Darno can catch. Murphy will probably play some DH. I think that if you have tra- tra- or you have Sean Murphy, you should feel really good about it because I think he's an easy top 10 catcher at this point. I need to start working on some ranks for baseball. I haven't done that yet, but I think he's an easy top 10 catcher and someone I'd be fine taking there. Now, there's another top 10 catcher who I now feel pretty good about in this draft too. Milwaukee gets involved. It's a three-team trade. They get three players. The big one for fantasy is William Contreras, not Wilson. Wilson, we talked about, he went to the St. Louis Cardinals. But brother William, the younger brother, who will turn 25 later this month, is going to join his brother, big brother Wilson in the National League Central. He's going to go play for the Milwaukee Brewers. It's a great bat. That's what it is. And for fantasy, it's a really good bat. Last year, his first real season, he turned in an all-star performance as a backup at times to Travis Darno. 
who they found ways to get his bat in the lineup. 278 batting average, 354 on base percentage, 506 slug, because he had 20 home runs in 97 games. He is going to be a middle of the lineup bat, I think, for the Brewers. And he's going to be a good one there for a long time. As a Brewers fan, this one excites me a lot. Now, they did not give up anybody. The or they, Excuse me. They had to give up something, right? The Brewers had to give up something. Atlanta had to give up something. And those that was went to Oakland for Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy, or Oakland gets quite a few pieces in this trade. The big ones we're going to talk about are Stewie Ruiz and Kyle Muller. So Muller has been in the big leagues on and off with the Atlanta Braves. Now, they have a very deep pitching staff, and Muller has kind of been the odd man out. He's got just 49 innings of big league experience with a 514 ERA. Now, the minors, it's much better. He's made 40 AAA starts the last couple of years with a 340 ERA. No threat about going back to the minor leagues as long as he is in Oakland. I expect him to slot right into their starting rotation. It's a very young rotation. It's a very unproven rotation. But what you know for fantasy is, is he is going to get starts now. And I think he'll get a lot of them. He's going to get a chance to fail at the big league level or to succeed at the big league level. The big piece they get back from was from Milwaukee is Estuary Ruiz. Ruiz was a big part. This is his fourth team, I think. Kansas City, San Diego, Milwaukee, and now Oakland. It, he was a big part of the Josh Hader trade last summer. We've seen the, you can look up the minor league numbers if you want to be thoroughly amazed at how very fast this young player is. I think it was 80 steals between the minor leagues and the major leagues last season between Milwaukee and San Diego. It's a lot, and he can fly. So for fantasy purposes, that is someone you got to pay attention to. I have the steamer projections for all four of these players. Sean Murphy, 132 games. That sounds about right. You'd like to, for catcher, that's about right. Maybe some DH in there. It's very much what he's done the last couple of years. 69 runs scored, 21 home runs, 67 RBIs, one stolen base, and a 238 average for catcher. That's what you want. Now, if you want to talk about what you want, Listen to these projections. For 113 games, which now I have to say is going to be more, assuming that William Contreras can stay healthy, I think the Brewers are going to want him to catch 130 games just like Sean Murphy. But even in 113 games, he's projected for 56 runs, 20 home runs, 60 RBIs, 2 steals, 254. So if you look at Murphy and Contreras, even in 20 less games, Contreras is projected for a much better batting average, only one less home run, 7 less RBI. If he plays 20 more games, can he be better than Sean Murphy? Hmm, something to think about. Estrella Ruiz was only projected for 258 at-bats. That number will be higher. I think in Oakland he should finally get a chance to really play at the big league level. But only in 258 at-bats. 35 runs, 8 homers, 32 RBIs, 21 stolen bases, 244. That's a fantasy skill set you want to take a chance on, right? Because he could steal 50 bases. And maybe not without being a complete dud in home power either. This is not somebody who can't hit home runs either. He can do that. Kyle Muller is probably the least interesting, but it's not bad. In 40 games, they had him projected for only six starts, so 70 innings, 72 strikeouts, 25 walks, a 3.82 ERA. Yeah, it's he moves to one of the probably the best pitchers parking in the game, right in Oakland. So people to know for fantasy, Murphy and Contreras definite top 10 catchers. I think I'd have to sit it down and plug it out. But Asteria Ruiz and Kyle Muller, high upside late picks. Speaking of top. And not top 10, but really good starting pitchers is Chris Bassett. Toronto needed a starting pitcher, and they found a good one in Chris Bassett. Ooh, I should have numbered. I think this is story number eight. Story eight we're on. <laughs> Getting high up here. Chris Bassett goes to Toronto on a three-year, $63 million contract, which is the most on an average per year basis behind only DeGrom and Verlander. So that's how highly Chris Bassett was thought of. For a 34-year-old who's had 
kind of a late start in his career, but when he's been there, he's been really consistent, and that's what this team needs because they have a lot of inconsistent pitchers. He does it. You know, he's 34, I just mentioned that, but and for three years, he'll be 37. The thing is, he doesn't really rely on velocity, so it's hard to see him really falling off here. He throws a fastball about 93 miles an hour, and then he's got a cutter, a slider, a curveball, and a change. It's kind of the kitchen sink approach. Just throw it up there, and when one thing's not working, something else will be. And it's worked really well. Over the last five years, he's a 329 ERA. I just said, consistently doesn't walk a whole lot, strikes out guys. He's just really what Toronto needs. Last year, he threw a career-high 181 innings with the Mets. As the Mets were struggling with health from DeGrom and Scherzer, Bassett just kept going out there every fifth day and being very good. 181 innings, 167 strikeouts last year, a 342 ERA. With Toronto, much like when he was with the Mets, he will not be asked to be the ace. They still have Alec Manoa. They still have Kevin Gaussman. I talked about their lack of consistency. They still have Jose Barrios. Speaking of lack of consistency, they have Yusei Kikuchi. I think Bassett slides in at probably three behind Manoa and Gaussman, ahead of Barrios, ahead of Kikuchi. They could still bring back Ross Stripling. He's a free agent. They could, at some point, Hyunjin Ryu will return. Now, he had Tommy John surgery, I think it was in the summer. So, probably at the end of the year, maybe he's available again. I know that they have a very highly regarded pitching prospect in Ricky Tideman coming up very shortly, sometime this year maybe. So it's suddenly a much deeper, longer rotation with just one signing, it feels like. And that's how good. I, I think Chris Bass is just really, really good. Steamer does too. 32 starts. They have him for a career-high 196 innings. Oof. 11 and 11, because I already told you that. A 403 ERA, which would be high for him. Huh? Maybe. It's a little bit. I think it's a better pitcher's park. I'd have to check. Or a better hitter's park. It used to be with park factors. I haven't looked in a while. 403 ERA, 173 strikeouts to 56 walks. A very good pitcher. Somebody who I know I will probably have a lot of because people will be afraid of the age. Story 9. We're getting there. Going to get to that number 10 yet. Story 9. Finally. I did mention that I didn't know if we'd get to a basketball story. And we did. Finally, an update on Cade Cunningham, former number one overall pick last year. We've just been in this. If you, I have him on our roster, and you're just in a long-term waiting pattern, like what's going to happen? Is he going to have the surgery? Is he not? He's out there taking shots. He's out there doing like jump rope one day on his stress fracture in the shin. But we finally got an update that he is going to have the surgery on that shin to remove the stress fracture or fix the stress fracture, however it happens. And his season is done as of Monday. So he was ruled out. Early in November, he's been gone since November 9th, and even that game, remember, he looked, I think he went 1 for 11. He did not look good. The question was simply rest or surgery. Surgery, he knew he was out for the rest of this year, but he should be ready to go by training camp next year, but knew he was going to miss the rest of this year, but it would be fully healed. Rest, there was a chance he could have played this year. There was also a chance that it wouldn't fully heal by the end of, by the start of next season, and it would cost them next year, so... They'll take the known hit this year to make sure that they get Kate Cunningham next year. Currently, the Pistons are dead last in the Eastern Conference. That's not surprising. It gives them a better chance of Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Henderson to add to their young core of Kate Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey. Right? They have a very young team up there. Cunningham, pretty good year. I had him, I said, I think I took him in the third round, so this sucks. But just under 20 points, over 6 rebounds, 6 assists, but only 12 games. The Pistons, in order to fill in, have been using Jaden Ivey and Killian Hayes. Hopefully, if you had one, you, they're both two roster now. I think 
Killian Hayes is at 62%, and I'm sure Jaden Ivey, I didn't even check, I'm sure he's over 90. Killian Hayes is probably the one who more or less fills in. His shooting has been awful, but he gets assists, he gets steals. I know I have him on a team where I, I think that's the team I had, Kate Cunningham, so at least I can trust the playing time now going forward, but I know I'm not getting a third-round pick out of Killian Hayes. There's not too many third-round picks available off of the waiver wire. Story 10, we got here. I never thought we'd get here. I'm planning to never get here again, but here we are. Christian Vasquez has signed with the Minnesota Twins on a three-year deal. I still have not seen the amount of money that one was for, but he is going to Minnesota. And the catcher market, I just said, Sean Murphy, William Contreras, it's thinning out quick. If you're looking for a catcher, your best bet now is probably to go to the Chris Bassett with team now, the Toronto Blue Jays, and ask which one of their three catchers you can trade for. If you're looking at a free agent, I guess it's Omar Narvaez or Gary Sanchez, which, eh. So, I, that, that's where we're at with the catcher market, but it's good for the Twins. He has, Christian Vasquez is another one who I guess I would just rule as consistent, right? He's been with Boston for most of his career at the trade deadline last year and an effort to increase their catching production. He was traded to the Houston Astros, and he's got another World Series. So congratulations to Christian Vasquez. Is that two or even three? I don't remember if they got two with Boston or if he got one with Boston and one with Houston, but good career. At one time, it looked like he was really coming into his own as an offensive catcher. Between 2019 and the short 2020, he hit 278. And in one of those years, in 2019, he hit 23 home runs. So, yeah, that looked great. That's the only year he's ever gotten to double-digit home runs, though. And after that 278, 327, 472 slash line of 2019-2020, it's dropped off. The batting average is still pretty good, 265 for the last couple of years. But the, and the on-base percentage is 311, but that 472 slug of 2019 and 2020 is down to 374 over the last couple of years as the power has just kind of evaporated again. But maybe it comes back. Houston is a better hitter's park. Houston and Boston better hitter's parks than Minnesota, so that probably won't help him any here. And Steamer tends to re- Last year, I should say last year first, last year he actually had 41 runs, 9 home runs, 52 RBIs, 1 steal, 274. He's a perfectly viable catcher in a two-catcher league and probably not somebody that you really need to roster in a one-catcher league. It's more better beneficial just to stream the position, probably, in a one-catcher league. But in a two-catcher league, you should absolutely remember Christian Vasquez because he plays every day, and he's not going to kill you. Steamer has him at 96 games. That's probably more. 353 at-bats, 39 home runs, eight, 39 runs scored, 8 home runs, 40 RBIs, 4 steals, and a 255 average. Shows that he could be pretty solid there. That is the Daily 5, which was actually 10 for December 13th. Hopefully we never do 10 again. Tune back in tomorrow for five new news stories. Tomorrow it will just be five, I promise you. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. If your app allows, leave it a like and review. Share the podcast with your friends if you enjoy what I am doing. Have a great day, and I will see you tomorrow.